you as the monster. Monster? They're British, you know. Hello, I'm Chris Denton. And I'm Paul Monk. And we are a, a very British, British horror. Today we're going to be talking about the great Ken Russell classic from the great period of British horror. We're going to be talking about The Devils, one of the finest horror films ever made. Uh, I'm very privileged uh, to be able to talk about this great Chris, classic. Yes. You do know that we're, we're not watching The Devils? But it's so fantastic with Oliver Reed and Dudley Sutton and Vanessa Redgrave. Yeah, no, unfortunately we, we're looking at the the other end of Ken Russell's career. But when he made all those really bad over-the-top films? Yes. Why did, would we do that to ourselves? Um, I don't know, but maybe over the next hour or so we'll find out. Okay. Um, in case anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, uh, we will be talking about uh, Ken Russell's 1988 film, Lair of the White Worm. Yes, Lair of the White Worm. Um, let's start off by talking about Ken Russell, because he was one of the UK's great directors. He yep. really was. And he's most famous for, well, two things, really. He's uh, most famous for his classical music films. Yep. Music Lovers and so on. And also for his D.H. Lawrence adaptions. Yeah. Women in Love. Great Oscar-winning classic. And he also went on to make uh, the, the Rainbow and Lady Chatterley's Lover. Um, and he is renowned, as we mentioned, for The Devils, which was yep. a great horror film in the early 70s. One of many great horror films in the early 70s. Yes. And, and horror-wise, he also did Gothic. He did Gothic immediately. Film we will cover at some point. I hope we do. Yeah, that was immediately before Lair of the White Worm, I believe, actually. Yeah. Um, a, a film about the creation of Frankenstein, but um, the success of which led to Lair of the White Worm. But by the late eighties, I think it's fair to say his reputation isn't quite the same as it was, no. say, in the early seventies. <laughs> was this was this around the time when? I, I seem to remember he used to pop up. I don't know if this was just one program or not, but I, I seem to remember him popping up on the South Bank show quite often. Well, being um, generally a, a, a moany, whingy old man. Well, no, no. There's a very good reason for for, for that. That he he started out um, he started out as a documentary filmmaker, Omnibus, right. the, the old BBC alternative to the South Bank show. And I, I think after his film career, he became increasingly involved with Melvin Bragg and the South Bank show. Yeah. He, he directed some of them, I believe. I think he did an A to Z of classical music. He definitely music. appeared in a couple as well. He, yes, he did, he did as a talking head, but he did, yeah. he did also make some of those films because the South Bank show was, um, people remember it now for being Melvin Bragg's interview show, but it wasn't that. It was an arts documentary. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, with those omnibus films, which he made before his film career. They they they, they were the classical music ones. Mm. Uh, Omnibus also famous for um, the great Emma James uh, adaptation, Whistle and I'll Come to You. Right. So, Omnibus really was a hotbed of talent okay. back then. I mean, the modern equivalent, I think, is Imagine, and that isn't a hotbed of great filmmaking <laughs> talent, I think it's <laughs> fair to say. No. Uh, but I really like Ken Russell. I've always admired his yeah. films. 
Well, of course, and then there's, a, there's sort of the films that are a little bit, a little bit crazier. Uh, Listomania. Yeah, I love Listomania, and there's just sort of, yeah, fairly mad. And of course, Tommy, who's rock opera, he directed that as well. And I'm actually quite a big fan. He 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 went across to America briefly in the early 80s, and he made a film called Altered States. Which is excellent, yeah. Which I really like. I and really actually, like actually it has too. lots of quite creepy moments in, but generally I don't think it's very well regarded, for whatever reason. It wasn't it wasn't a hit, but it, no. it, it is a really good film. He also made Crimes of Passion, in yes. the US, didn't he? Um, which was all yeah. right. And he destroyed his own career sh- shortly after Lair of the White Worm. Lair of the White Worm didn't destroy his career. <laughs> what destroyed his career was a, a film he made called Poor. Poor. Yeah, yeah, in the early 90s, yeah, in the early nineties, yeah. his reputation never recovered. Um, he did make a really amusing straight-to-video documentary about one, well, not documentary, a um, kind of um, biopic of Yuri mm. Geller called Mindbender, which he, oh, yes. he took all of Yuri Geller's ridiculous claims <laughs> <laughs> and treated them as if they were yeah. literally true. It's, it's absolutely yeah. amazing. I really recommend yeah. Mindbender. To, I've everyone. forgotten about that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> forgotten he did that. You don't, you don't really know if it's a parody or not because it <laughs> treads the line. Um, which, in some ways, Lair of the White Worm does too. Yeah. It's difficult to work out quite how funny Lair of the White Worm is supposed to be, as opposed to how amusing it is. Yeah. But we are talking about a great filmmaker, though, so we, we are, do definitely. have to give him yeah. a certain benefit of, of the doubt. I mean, he does have... Um, I think one thing to just talk about Ken Russell is that he does have certain themes to a lot of his films and work. Yes, um, yes, he does. Yes, he does. And, um, and I'm not sure we can discuss no those themes <laughs> without immediately getting ourselves an X rating, <laughs> whatever the equivalent of iTunes is. <laughs> but several of these themes are, vis- are immediately apparent in Lair of the White Yes, so to yeah. say. Um, well, let's just come out with it. Is sex and religion is what his big themes are a lot of the time. That's very true, and I think there are probably more fallacies in, in <laughs> Ken Russell films than any <laughs> other filmmaker yeah. um, body of work. So I think you can be very proud of that. I think we can say fallacies. I think that's right. fallacies okay. Yeah, that's a scientific term, so. Yeah. We're okay. Uh, he's also known to young people as that old guy who was in Celebrity Big Brother once. Yeah. And if you're one of those people, turn off now this podcast. <laughs> okay, and, and now I want to talk about the film star. The film star is, of course, Amanda Donahue. Yes. No, I wondered who you were going to say then. I know, I deliberately, I deliberately kept that mysterious. <laughs> but she, Amanda Donahue is first billed and she plays the villain. Yes. Um, Lady Sil- Sylvia Marsh. Yeah. Uh, can I just say, up until now, I think the female characters in a lot of the films we've watched have had a bit of a a raw deal, either being um, very badly acted um, uh, or or not really having anything interesting to do or just being the love interest of the main star. This is probably one of the first ones where we actually have quite a, a, a strong sort of female lead. Well, there is a reason for that, Paul, and that's because you won't watch Ingrid Pitt films on the train because you're worried about people <laughs> watch, watching them over your shoulder. 
<laughs> you're right. You're, you're right. Because we've, we've moved on, because we're in, in the, the late 80s now, there yeah. are stronger female. There were some hairy moments watching this on the train. <laughs> I bet there were. <laughs> I bet there were. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's fair to say that Amanda Donahue is mm, quite liberated. Yeah. She's, she certainly gives this performance her all. Um, she, she play, and she plays uh, an upper class woman who's clearly a snake. I mean, it's it's not they a don't, mystery. They don't, they don't, yeah, they don't make any mystery of it, do they? So she and she comes back in the spring and she says something like, oh, "I practically hibernate over winter." Yeah. And and you know, it's, but she's got this wonderful upper class plummy voice. Um, and it, it, it she has, her. and and when she first com, comes on, there's a bit where I'm think I, I was thinking, is every line she says going to be an innuendo? Because it's it's almost like everything she says has some double meaning. Yeah, although she does have, <laughs> I, I think that that's very deliberately done. Oh yeah, to make, to make yeah. the make the character kind of overtly seductive. Yeah attractive to the male characters but she does she does have a different mode when she's yeah. when she when she stops trying to be friendly and starts trying to murder people she does she, she does behave differently so it's not a one note performance <laughs> um, I don't know I don't think I don't think we, we've seen enough of Amanda Donahue oh, I thought we saw quite enough of her but I, I don't mean in this <laughs> film I, I mean generally ah ok well no if you if you, if you um, into Emmerdale she's in that at the moment isn't she yeah, so so I'm led to understand. Uh, I think that's, I mean, a sad fall from grace. But she, she was in uh, Castaway in the 80s, wasn't she? I think that was a little role. I believe she she went over to America at some point. Well, she was in LA Law for quite a long time. That was in the early 90s, so this was post this. And she got quite famous in, in the US for being in that programme, which led to all sorts of other little cameos in other programmes. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, Castaway. She had done a couple of years before Lair of the White Worm. We don't really see her in in horror films again. Although, didn't no? Didn't she do? Am I right in thinking that she did a, a film with Paul McGann called something like Paper, Paper Mask? Mask yeah. I really, I watched that when it was a rental from the video shop. Yeah. I remember really liking it. Basically about hospital porter that impersonates a doctor yeah. and how he's the medical profession basically helps him cover up all his mistakes and yeah. so so he's quite a plausible doctor and uh, I really like that and so I remember her being good in that as kind of a nurse who helps him but yeah I think it's it's, it's, it's fair to say that she wasn't in too many films hasn't been in too many films but this the 80s is of course a great low point of the British film industry uh, at this point there's only Merchant Ivory films really happening? Ken Russell films and Merchant yeah. Ivory films? Yeah. Um, you might have some Kitchen Sink stuff. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't a lot going on. I, I think uh, Ken, well, Ken Loach and Mike Lee were active at this time. If you're into that kind of stuff, yeah. I, I really not. No, the horror film industry had dried up virtually. Yeah. Yeah, definitely on yeah on that side of things. I think there's a, a film called Dream Demon. That Timothy Spool was a villain, I think something like that. I've never seen yeah. it. And and, and also um, the Doctor and the Devils, uh, oh, a Birth and Hair yeah. film. Yes, Timothy Dalton. I think that's late eighties yeah. as well. 
directed by Freddie Francis. But yeah, was the non- yeah. No, it's not any good though. No, there wasn't an awful lot of um, stuff like that, really, was there in the eighties? And would you say Lair of the White Worm was, was was a Hammer? It's not a Hammer tribute. It's not a Hammer parody. It's got nothing to do with Hammer, has it? No, but I don't think. I think it's just a Ken Russell film. I don't it's think not, it's he not really. It's not really in that in that style. In that it's in fact, it's not really in any style other than a Ken Russell style. And I think that's why the the classic horror characters, the Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee roles, mm. uh, bits and Price roles, Boris Karloff roles, etc., they are not in this film. No. So that's why you've got an opportunity for Amanda Don Hughes to um, take centre stage, and why the other the other roles are are different. I mm. mean the. I'm not sure who you, who you would say was the, the second main character. I no. know that billing-wise, it's Hugh Grant who plays um, the Lord of the Manor. Yeah. So well, he would have been probably fractionally more famous. Well, um, yes, that's true. He, he plays Lord James Dampton. Yep. He was known at this point, but this is a, this is before Four Weddings and the Funeral. Yeah, comfortably yeah. before. Yes, he wasn't an international star, no. but, but he, he he was um, in Merchant Ivory films. Yeah. He did come to prominence in Morris, Morris, yeah. which had been uh, prior to this, I think. Yeah, um, maybe a couple of years prior to this, um, and I think Ken Russell was very lucky in retrospect to have cast Hugh Grant because it means this film has been seen by a lot more people <laughs> than it would otherwise have been because yeah. Hugh Grant obviously became a genuine international star like a um, a proper matinee idol star of the kind Hammer never managed to get into their film. Yeah. I'm explicitly referring back to Hammer because they're the great exponents of British horror and it's interesting to see how this is different. Hammer did once, I understand, try to get Cary Grant. Many similarities between Cary Grant and Hugh Grant. Some differences, I accept. Cary Grant, yeah. <laughs> Golden Age actor, a much better reputation than Hugh Grant, but um, famous romantic comedies principally, but wanted to um, be in a horror film, he claimed. And um, okay. that, The Phantom of the Opera, Hammer's The Phantom of the Opera, was originally a Cary Grant. Okay. Yeah. Although, for some, although it would have worked much better with Cary Grant in, in the main role, wouldn't it? I mean, honestly, uh, what made them cast Herbert Long in the end? I really don't know. Oh, apparently Maurice was only 1987, so... Yeah. So he, he, was, he was hot off his Merchant Ivory debut at this point. And I'm going to say the next character... Oh, it's Peter Cavalli, but before that, I'm going to yeah. put my cards on the table and say I love Hugh Grant. I think he's fantastic. I love him <laughs> in Four Ways and a Funeral. I think, and I understand why people don't like Richard Curtis films, but those people are wrong. <laughs> Richard Curtis films are brilliant. <laughs> um, so, it, for, for me, having Hugh Grant in this film is it's amazing. Yeah. It, really, it really works. He's brilliant as Lord James. Dampton, he's, he, he's, he's, he's playing quite sympathetic. A he's type, like, though, isn't he? Already, but, but already, already but he's like playing Hugh Grant. But that's that's his thing. He, before the, he was a big star, this isn't, he could play star parts really yeah, well. This isn't this isn't the kind of lovable, foppish kind of Hugh Grant that 
of Four Weddings and every other film he was in post that. Um, he, he's he's not an unlikable character, which is good. He's 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 an upper class lord, and but he's quite likable in this. But he doesn't have that. He hasn't developed that that his trademark sort of ditheriness. And it's not yeah. it's not really a romantic lead. This this role. I mean, there's a no. kind of love interest thing, yeah, which, which we know is unconsummated. We do, despite <laughs> a, an iffy line early on when they come back at the beginning he, he they they've, they're coming back the village because there's the legend of the worm um there, there there's the village holds a, a dance or well i think hugh grant puts on a dance type party thing where there's a, a ceremonial slaying of a of a worm a giant snake not an actual worm. yeah giant snake and um and uh yeah there's a line after that where he goes comes back to the guest house where the two girls, the Trent girls, live. Um and he says he says something along the lines of um I can't really says now. How dare you keep me up all night <laughs> and then pauses and then says dancing. Yeah, yeah, that does that does so happen. There is a little bit and you're thinking mm. that is one of the poorer in you know, It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think we definitely have well. to go on to innuendos later. Delivered lots well. of them. Well, another thing I want to cover to later yeah. is Bram Stoker. Okay. Because yeah. this is an adaptation of a Bram Stoker novel. Yeah. A not particularly good Bram Stoker novel, as we'll discuss later. But in the novel, the equivalent character to James Dampton is a massive villain. It's mm. a, like a guy called Edgar Carswell or something in the the novel and he's completely unlikable unsympathetic so Russell's changed it to give you another hero yeah yeah. and and, you know because he obviously loved Hugh Grant and thought I can't make him do it it'd be (laughs) ridiculous everyone will like him too much yeah I might be assuming a little bit there (laughs) but we've got another hero we have yes we've got another hero Sylvester McCoy no, not Sylvester McCoy, the other one. Peter Capaldi. Yes. yes. Peter Capaldi, who's most famous for being Doctor Who, although he hasn't actually been Doctor Who yet. No. We're recording this before his debut. His debut's yeah. going to be in about 22 days. Yep. Yeah. Um, and of course, Hugh Grant has been Doctor Who as well. It's my favourite Doctor Who, that's officially true. <laughs> Hugh Grant was Doctor Who for 10 seconds, 15 yes, seconds once. Something like that. In the comic relief episode. Uh, but it was amazing. Hugh Grant was sort of offered the role of Doctor Who by Russell T Davis, and he turned it down. Yeah. Turned it down. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I don't cry about that anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, Peter Capaldi, uh, in the in the late eighties, he was already getting to being well known himself. Yeah. Um, I certainly was was aware of his work from quite early on because he made a film called Soft Top Hard yeah. Shoulder, like a British road movie, which I really quite enjoyed. Yeah, which he wrote and directed, I think. Yeah. He also won an Oscar. In, in this period, not long after this, uh, after Lair of the White Worm, he won an Oscar for directing a short film called Franz Kafka's It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. He was also uh, in the Crow Road. That must have been yeah, early nineties. Yeah, I think that was nineties. That, yeah. that was actually a very good 
adaptation. I think. Really good. I really like the TV adaptation, the Great Road. And um, yeah, he's done loads of things. Finally, really hit the big time. With Selling Hitler was in that. Oh yeah, I watched that. Tom Baker's in that as well. Um, yeah, hit the big time with that uh, comedy thing that some people like. <laughs> Which at the thick of it, I've tried. I've tried lots of times, but you know. <laughs> it was in the all new Alexi Sales show. Now that's comedy. That's proper comedy as well. <laughs> no, I mean, Peter Gould is great, and I apologise profusely if you really <laughs> like the thick of it. Yeah. Oh wow! I didn't realise the, the Crow Road wasn't until 1996. Actually, the same year that Neverwhere was made. It's the Angel Islington in Neverwhere. Yeah. Neverwhere, that Neil Gaiman adaptation. Uh, well, not really an adaptation. No, it was written for TV. It was like a, like a you know, BBC. We haven't got any money. Let's see if we can make a Neil Gaiman fantasy well, TV it, series. The thing oh, is, no, we can't. I, I have a real <laughs> soft spot for, for Neverwhere, but it, 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 well, we can go on this another time but essentially they, what they did wrong was they used um, your your bog standard old uh, fuddy duddy staff BBC director who'd been around since the 1940s or whatever who just directed it in the same old way they used to direct things so therefore it looked really bad that and then filming it on video which was then going to be filmized in some way afterwards to look a bit grainy which never got done no, it was anyway. unfortunate, but Peter Capaldi was very but he, good. He's very good in it. He's, he's uh, it has, it, yeah, yeah, it has some things yeah. in his favour, but I generally don't like it. Yeah, I didn't like the book. He, Neil Gaiman novelised it. I didn't like that either. The but but there's a, there's a comic adaption which I do like. Okay, so I, I really like the book as well. But anyway, we'll we'll, co- we'll cover Neil Gaiman, Neil Gaiman another, another time podcast. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Can I just say that, that, that Peter Cavaldi in this, very Scottish. His character is called Angus. Angus. He wears a kilt as well. He does And plays the bagpipes. Yeah. Yeah. Which he gets from somewhere. I'm not sure where he gets uh, those. If he's from. Scottish, he must have bagpipes. He just keeps them in his sporran. Yes, that works. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway. Um, well, so, so anyway, he's he's a he's an archaeologist in this film. So he, it's not entirely made clear. I think he is he staying at the B and B that the um, even Mary Trent Mercy Farm, yeah, run, Mercy Farm. Yeah, he's staying yeah, there because he's dig, doing a dig excavating some Roman ruins. Yeah, uh, and also kind of flirting with one of the sisters. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he he does discover some. Roman ruin. Well, he discovers a big skull. Yeah, he? he does. Yeah, and then goes, "Oh, that looks like a dinosaur." And but wait a minute, it's a giant snake. Yeah, and you think, yeah, that's great. Bit of trivia. That was actually a, a a cow's skull that they used, and they pulled out the teeth and glued in extra bits and sculpted other bits on it. But basically, that was a cow skull. This this film is not renowned for its special effects. <laughs> uh, just wait till we get to the worm later, and I'll tell you how they did that. <laughs> Some kind of sock puppet, was it? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Much more ingenious. <laughs> uh, yeah, but we like I mean, this character is really bad. I mean, he, 
there's no way he's an archaeologist, is there? I mean, he doesn't act like an archaeologist <laughs> in any in any conceivable form. There's there's bits uh-huh. where he has lines where he does a big info dump about um about certain Roman things, uh, but yeah, he's oh, you're talking talk, talking about some non-existent Roman emperor. No, it's a, it's a genuine Roman emperor. Was it? Yeah, Marcus. Um, I'm going to look him up now. Um, Carcerus or something. Marcus Briggs Stockers. Yeah. No, he was he was a proper he was a, called the pirate emperor emperor, and he he basically decided that he wanted to take over uh, Britain and and ingratiated himself um, with somehow with the, the the Britons who were against the Roman rule. And managed to take over, whilst also um, protecting Britain from um, marauding pirates from the continent and various other places by having his fleet protect Britain's coast. He sounds like a good guy, doesn't he? Much kind of, of, but he, he also he also um, there was lots of rumours that he in fact let a lot of the pirates raid um, places in the UK, not UK in the in in, in Britain. Uh, let them escape, at which point he would attack them with his fleet and steal all the gold for himself. Um, but somehow he managed to become emperor. He, he well, it sounds like that's the kind of person that yeah. does become emperor. So he managed to, he managed to rule, <laughs> yeah. and he was actually reasonably successful. I think he was one of the first emperors of, of uh, Roman emperors to, to unite, rule a united Britain, which is which is quite an achievement. I don't think much is. It's sort of really said about him, to be honest. He's one of these people that seems to have painted as a villain about. in this film. He is painted as a villain. Because it's revealed he's um, yeah. a former uh, lover of the evil snake woman. Yeah, that's not something that was accurate. <sighs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I was just starting to believe in this film. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think... we. Peter Capaldi just carries this role through on sort of charisma and star power. Yeah. It's pretty underwritten. I don't think Ken Russell's yeah. ever met a Scottish person when writing, <laughs> when writing this script. And, and there's no there's no Scott in the novel. Actually, no. the equivalent character in the novel is Australian. Okay. Yeah. Not an archaeologist either. <laughs> but, you know... We, we, we need not concern ourselves with that. Let's talk about the girls. The the, yeah, the, <laughs> the heroines who yeah. are played by Catherine Oxenberg and Sammy Davis. Yeah. And they're both... Well, Catherine Oxenberg was, uh, was in Dynasty. She was. I think, and had just come out of that. Um, just come finish being in that. Um... Sammy Davis, not really particularly famous for many things, I don't think. Sammy Davis was a member of the Rat Pack, Frank's not. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I bet she's never heard that before. No. No, Sammy Davis was the main character in The Rainbow, which I think she made after this. Oh, okay. But, but apart from in Ken Russell films, I'm not sure if she ever did anything. No. Catherine Olsenberg, most famous, like you say, for Dynasty. Also, the daughter of... Princess Elizabeth of Yugoslavia. Okay. Well, there we go. I, I think rumours abounded that she was an actual princess 
but Catherine Orsonberg is not a princess. Right. Not herself. No. But then Christopher Lee, his mother is a countess, or was yes. a countess, yeah. but yeah. he's not a count. No. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think it works like that. Mm. Um, so Catherine Oxford certainly has the right aristocratic bearing for a horror film. Yeah. But not sure about acting ability. Well, unfortunately... She's she not can't, required she can't, to do an awful lot, to be fair to but her. But she is required to do some kind of Derbyshire accent, which she can't do. No. And neither <laughs> can Sammy Davis. No. So they both sound like they're like impersonating and, and, maliciously and it's um, really irritating. the Wurzels. Yeah. It's really, <laughs> yeah. really, really irritating. Uh, and, and they just drove me mad in it. And I didn't really... I just thought how... Hugh Grant and Peter Cavaldi's characters could stand being with them because they would drive me crazy. Yeah, they're not as alluring as Ken no, Russell seems to think no. they are. <laughs> no, they're just they're just they're just annoying. Uh, it's very re- regrettable. Actually. And there are points in the film actually where where they, I'm pretty certain they were dubbed. I, I think they they. they well, I, t- I tell you there's why. There's a whole I, scene. I, I, I think. tell you why you say that because the, the scene they're introduced, which yeah. is set outside. Mercy Farm, Angus Dean's yeah. excavations is very obviously dubbed. Probably yeah. just because of bad, bad sound. sound yeah. yeah, but there's there's a couple of scenes later on where where I'm pretty certain that Hugh Grant isn't dubbed, but he's talking to I can't remember which one of them, maybe Mary, but he's talking to her, Sammy Davis, talking to her I think, and she is dubbed or it's she may have re-recorded her own voice. Yeah, yeah. Whether it just didn't come out right, but. That's that's quite off-putting. Um, I agree, agree. I mean, generally speaking, these are unimpressive performances, which is a real shame because we talked yeah. about Amanda Donahue is a really strong female yeah. character and a really, really well mm. performed female character. But um, these these other two main characters are, are shocking. And they're quite wet and simpering as well. They 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 yeah they don't have anything going for them really. Yeah. They are just used. <clears throat> you know, as girls for the hero, the actual yeah. heroes, the men to rescue. Yeah. And um, it's it's not very it's, it's not very good really. You don't you don't like them, you don't sympathise with them, you don't really care whether the white worm eats them or not. <laughs> yeah. Um so so we're not we're not talking about a feminist classic despite like Donahoe's performance. I'm gonna say Donahoe and Donahue alternatively so that I've got it right it's 50, Donahoe 50% of the it's time home. I know I know I know it's, it's Donahoe but Donahue sounds like a real word to me where there's Donahoe doesn't that would have a U at the end I, I know I'm looking at, I'm looking at it written down now I know I know you're right <sighs> anyway I do know how to say Stratford Johns he yes. cameos as a brilliant <laughs> butler <laughs> he's great what I liked about him is he, in the very first scene he's in, he, you're just totally engrossed in, in his character, even though he's saying, um, lots of fairly uninteresting dialogue almost. But just the way he says it is, he instantly manages to give the butler a lot of character. And then there's a scene a bit later where he's um, describing. What's he describing? I can't remember now. 
he's describing oh, something state, to state charming yeah Turkish state charming and Turkish uh, belly, belly dancers and, and he he's um gets all kind of pervy <laughs> but he acts it really well yeah and and, and again this I think this is what you were saying earlier about not being sure if this film's meant to be a comedy or not because that scene I found hilarious but I don't know whether it was meant to be funny I think Stratford John certainly meant think, it to be funny. I think he meant it. He was playing it as if it was funny, yeah. <laughs> it's difficult to know whether Ken Russell himself realised that. But yeah. I, think he, I think he did. Yeah. I'm going to give mean, him credit for this. To get, yeah, I mean, there's, there is quite a lot of humour in, in Ken Russell's other films. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think, yeah, I think he, he kind of appreciates the, the more absurd elements of it. A couple of other, a couple of other names? Paul Brook. Was yeah. Ernie the police, the policeman? I don't, I don't think he's actually appeared in a lot. But he was in this sitcom which I loved on BBC Two about twenty years ago called Morning Sarge, and he was the Sarge. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think you'll find Paul Brook has been in absolutely hundreds of things, but nothing substantial. He tends to play vicars and policemen and. Characters a bit like that. Uh, I'm always pleased to see him, and I, yeah. I really enjoy his performance as a, uh, a lovable local policeman. Can I just say though, continuing the theme, policeman, inept, slightly comedic policeman. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very did you did you know as well? Who did you recognise the voice on the other end of the phone when he's calling into his uh, the other policeman? I didn't recognise the voice, although I should have done. But during my research, I did discover it was Ken Russell himself. It was. <laughs> and that whole scene made me laugh as well. I know, but it's so... But, it, it, but I mean, again, it's kind of quite broad I, comedy, isn't the, it? The only comparable policing I can think of is Balamori. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I'd really love to see with Balamori? And they never actually did it, but I, well, they we're never going to do it. It's only ever going to happen in my head. But I think a Balamori... Wicker Man crossover would work really well. I think it would. The Ballymore is basically the Wicker Man, isn't it? It really <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's just they don't actually kill anyone. No. In the end. And and you know, I can imagine um, Archie as the lad, dra- yeah. luring luring a PC plum. <laughs> yeah. Out, out, up to a, to a Wicker Man, which is built out of yogurt pots. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> that would. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Actually, the same the same thought has it occurred to me independently. So I think there is mileage in it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one more name. I'm going to give you one more name when we're talking about the cast. Gina McKee. Yes. Now she also has a Neil Gaiman connection. I wonder if you know what that is. Um, she's the girlfriend in um, Neverwhere, isn't she? Is that her? No? She's she in Neverwhere. I don't remember her in Neverwhere. No, okay. Um She's in she's in Mirror Mask. Oh okay, yes. Yeah. I haven't seen that, so you haven't seen oh no. recommended. Yeah. It's a shame it's not a horror film actually, we yeah. watch it this it's like a horror film. Let's say it's a horror film. <laughs> <laughs> no, um But she's a great actress, again, who's appeared in lots and lots of different things. 
Yes, yes. I remember one of the big things. A flake advert once, was it? Oh, no. <laughs> no. I think, I think she was in, uh, one of the, the, the biggest things she was in was Our, our Friends in the North. Which yeah, yeah. And Notting Hill, of course. Daniel got. Craig. Was Daniel Craig in that? Or have I made yeah. that up? Daniel Craig and was in Our Friends in, in, in the North, yes. Yeah. I'm just looking at her filmography and I do not see any... And Mark Strong, he was in that as well. Of the flake advert. I can't believe it. I don't think it. she was in the flake advert, was she? Maybe not, but she's got quite no, a look. I no, I don't think that was her. Well, there were several flake adverts. You're thinking the one in the bath, where she's got short hair. That's not her. Okay, so I think we ruled out the flake, the Cadbury's... I'm not so interested in... Oh, I am. I love Gina McKee. Everyone loves Gina McKee. Huh. Right. Um, so that's I once had an awkward moment with, with her at Victoria Station, where she was at Victoria Station and I kind of thought I recognised her but hadn't quite remembered who she was so I, I looked at her and then she saw that I was looking at her and then there was all that awkwardness and I couldn't remember what her name was anyway so I couldn't even go up and say oh hi you're so and so and I liked you in that so there we slightly go slightly famous my, my, people my must story. get that a lot yeah. my, my story with the stars yeah <laughs> brush, brush with the, the famous <laughs> uh, in in this film, it's a little cameo at the end, a little sort of comedic twist. Yeah. Um, which we 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 can. Yeah. We'll spoil it now because it's rubbish. So go on. Right. Well, <laughs> for some reason, I don't need to Ken Russell. Um, he introduces into the Lair of the White Worm this idea that the snakes are really vampires. Yeah. The human snakes. So, so Amanda Donahoe is queen of the vampires. And of the snake vampires, and when yeah. she bites people, they turn into like snake vampires. Yeah. And so she infects Ernie, and he turns into a snake vampire. And and um, yeah, uh, Angus thinks he's got an antidote. So when he gets bitten, he thinks he's absolutely yeah. fine. And then after they defeated Amanda Donna, oh. <laughs> um, the lab, ring him up in the person of Gina McKee and say, oh yeah, we didn't actually send you snake venom, we sent you something else. And he said, arthritis. Yeah. Uh, an arthritis jab. And then there's a bit in the car with, between Peter Capaldi and Hugh Grant where they're about to... Yeah. Hugh Peter Capaldi might be a vampire at this point. Yeah. And Hugh Grant just sees the bites and goes, well, you might be a vampire. Yeah. And it's, it's quite... It's not... That bad and Hugh Grant actually does that. Does that sees it by changing gear in the car, and accidentally brushing Angus's kilt up. Yeah, his kilt rides up his so, leg. Yeah, a bit it? of a homoerotic bit right at the end. Oh, it, maybe it was. Maybe because they ditched the girls by that. Point. Exactly. Yeah, the girl, they realised the girls are rubbish. They have, and they've unfortunately killed the only like really good one. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> so you know they, they're probably going to go away and have a sort of wrestle and a bit of a in front of a fire. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, probably, they probably are going to do that, yeah. Um, okay, and on, on that speculative note, I think let's turn our attention to Bram Stoker. Okay. Bram Stoker, who gave the world Dracula. He did. Unfortunately, he also gave the world this awful novel, Lair of the White Worm. Yeah. Um, I had read it before and I hadn't noticed how awful it was. I mean, I didn't know it was written in a different style to Dracula, but um, I, I got it. I downloaded it onto my 
can 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 lap. Just just so I thought, oh, I'll read it again. You know, diligent podcaster, do my research. And well, the first thing is, I discovered after I read it that there are two versions. Right. Like a the original 1911 version, yeah. which is about 320 pages long. And then in 1925, somebody cut 100 pages out and released that. Yeah. And for some reason, Amazon decided to put the short version on their Kindle app, which yeah, I know okay. is barbaric, but also saved me 100 pages. Right. So, I, actually, um, yeah. I, I, had, I had the longer version, and it was, um, yeah, I didn't get past about three chapters, I think. It was just, oh. Well, let me tell you what's awful about it. Okay. The first thing, it's so racist. Really, <laughs> really, really is racist. There's a character whom Ken Russell totally rightly ignores called Oolunga, <laughs> who, who, who's um, a, black, a black African, and everyone is so racist to him, which, you know, could be justified as reflecting yeah. social attitudes at the time. But Bram Stoker, in the person of the author... Is, is the most racist <laughs> of the lot. It's just like, uh, I mean, <laughs> Ulanga's character is basically, he's a black person, therefore he's evil. Yeah. <laughs> he loves money and mischief and death, and that's <laughs> it. <laughs> and there's some terrible line, like, like everyone of his colour, <laughs> he only loves money. <laughs> and and uh, the, the hero, Adam Salton, the Australian, um, he, he, he actually teams up with um, Lady Arabella Marsh, who's uh, March, who's like the equivalent character to Man- Manson Ho's character, different name. So yeah. He knows she's an evil snake, but at least she's white. Therefore, he's like, you know, fair enough. I'll deal with her once I've sorted out the yeah. racial purity that's so oh, important dear. to Derbyshire. Um, yeah, so... It really, really is terribly racist. It's also really sexist. I think, yeah, you know, Adam Salton's objection to um, Lady Arabella is as much that she's a woman. <laughs> oh <dear. laughs> um, you know. I think if she'd been a man, the evil snake bit would have been okay. He could have coped with that. <laughs> it, it, it really is sexist. It has a really sexist depiction of the two girls who are called different names. Yeah. Um, but who do live at Mercy Farm um, and yeah they're, they're, they're in the same way as in the Kent Russell film they're, they're kind of victims to, to be battled over by the villains um, but because um, Kent well not Kent because Bram Stoker didn't want to go down the sapphic route there's this Edgar Coswell the landowner who teams up with this late baby rather than with the good guys there's also there's, there's, there's also some Adam Salton's lured over from Australia with the promise of a vast inheritance right, by, yeah. by his like long distant long, long distantly related sort of uncle who owns one of the properties in in the area. Yeah. Um, so okay, I've established that I hate I hated this book because I, there's no excuse for the racism. But also, it's very badly written. He wrote, Bram Stoker wrote this at the end of his life. Yeah. Like, it was published in 1911, I think he died in 1912. Was it, didn't he have sort of quite bad syphilis? Well, apparently, or, or not, apparently he did, but then some 
scholars have tried to say that no, he didn't. It was overwork he died from. To 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 me, I I, I think they're kind of well saying what they want to say. If you if you if you read this book, which I don't recommend, no. but it is just as um, psychosexual as Dracula, mm. and the the persona of um, the Lady Arabella, she's she's always described as wearing a really tight white dress <laughs> and slinking around, and she's kind of <clears throat> trying to lure the landowner yeah. into a marriage, and um, she well, he's described as beautiful a lot, and I think I think I think he he, he did like the ladies though, didn't he, Bram Stoker? Well, yeah, and if he had a, a sexually transmitted disease and he was angry about it, this is the kind of thing he would have written, I mm. think. So, yeah. <laughs> so I can I can well. I can well believe that he did die of syphilis. Yeah. Um, although I don't know that he did. The, the academic opinion is now divided on that. Um, and uh, probably, if you look at Dracula, written a long time before, so he, he might not have been ill then. Even if he died of syphilis, he might not have had it. But at this point, um, that's really psychosexual as well. I mean, we, we covered this when we looked at the Hammer film. That, mm. that, but there's, you know, you don't really have to be Sigmund Freud to see the uh, the subtext of, of Dracula, and Blair the White Room, the book does have it, and it it sort of yeah. ekes through it. I mean, there's no, there's no, you know, the, the, yeah, the, 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 yeah, let's go down the well and that kind of stuff. That's <laughs> a worm in the well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that kind of stuff. But is in the novel. What isn't in the novel is the vampirism. Yeah, there's there's, there's no vampirism. Well, um, uh, Lady Arabella is the white worm. It's different to um, in the film when she's some kind of acolyte of yeah, the white worm. Yeah. Um, okay, so that seems like that's going to nicely lead into the um, sort of. We don't need to dwell on it too much, but there's obviously a lot of sexual subtext in in this film, and I think it's probably about time to start talking about some of the. Slightly weird vision sequences. Oh, this is great. The, the, the dream <laughs> sequence, the plane. Yeah. Well, there's, there's there's several of them, aren't there? So there's the weird visions, which uh, seem to be suggested later that there's some sort of flashback that Eve has. Uh, called called Eve, by the way. I'm not sure that's a coincidence, as is uh, Mary, Eve and Mary. It's almost biblical, isn't it? It is. It's almost <laughs> like that was deliberate. Anyway. Um, oh, you talk talking about the Roman sort of rape. Or yeah, theme. so there's that bit as well, which and obviously a big big snaky thing curled around there's Christ. Jesus on the cross. Yeah. Jesus looking like Robert Powell. I don't think it was Robert Powell. No. But it no, did look like him. A guy, well, I can tell you it is a bit later, but um, yeah, some, some, not, not Robert Powell. And um, Roman centurions, or <coughs> Roman yeah. centurion, and, and, and the other Roman soldiers yeah. are, are basically um, ravaging a group of nuns. Yeah, which definitely is not easy to do with Bram Stoker. No. But keen students of um, Ken Russell will remember the um, he, devils. He does. He does like. <laughs> he does have a thing for nuns. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's that, and there's a suggestion later that that is some sort of flashback and that um the eve character has been reincarnated through through the the, the years and that, that actually was a genuine thing that happened 
Yeah, so, sort of brought on by the, the snake venom. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you're, you're right. So um, that's interesting. But, the, the, but then you've got um, James Dampton's sexy yeah, dream. Yeah, his, his dream. Which, which is so brilliant because it's so irrelevant. He, he just, cause he, for some reason, which no one really understands, he sometimes wears an RAF uniform in this. Yeah, yeah. In this film. There's no mention of him actually being a... No, no. But in the RAF. But I guess <laughs> we can presume that he perhaps was. Which is why he was, he'd been away. Um, but the plane in the dream sequence is, is, is a like a commercial jet plane. It's Concorde. <laughs> of course it is. So... The most phallus plane you can get. <laughs> and, and, and so an RAF pilot wouldn't be flying Concorde. No. But he gets into Concorde and um, the three stewardesses are Eve, Mary and yeah. Lady Sylvia. And there's a brilliant scene where... where well, and this is brought on because earlier on he'd been to Lady Sylvia's house. And there'd been lots of kind of flirting and a game of snakes and ladders. I say, doing weird air quotes. Yeah, and he um, he basically in his dream, his dream character sits in the plane, strapped in, and he's holding a pen. And well, there's a there's then, a point. He, oh, I've got I've got a, I just need to get this out of my head. <laughs> so he's he's holding the pen, and then Anna Donahue and. One of the girls, it's, it's Catherine Oxenberg. Yeah. yeah, they kind of wrestle for him, and yeah. and although they're not naked, they're wearing yeah. a suitless uniform. There's lots of flirting beforehand and yeah, yeah. showing of legs, but and and, and, and but Mary's as also there, but she doesn't get involved in that part of it. As they, well, for whatever reason, she's just doing the safety announcements. <laughs> she's just doing the safety announcements. That's exactly it. <laughs> but as the two girls are wrestling, Hugh Grant. Just raises the pen erect in his hand. It's yes. just it's the the subtlest thing you'll ever see. <laughs> I, said, it's got, I don't know what it can mean. I don't know what it can mean either. But you know, you've got the the struggle between oh, do I like the the sexy evil one or the annoying yeah. pretty but good one? It, it sort of it doesn't really have any relevance on the film as such does it because he wakes up so there's not really any resolution to, to well, that well that you, dream, you say it? that but I don't think it's as bad as that I don't think it's pure exploitation because I, I think James Dampton comes to the realisation that Lady Sylvia is e- evil and behind the yeah. deaths and the mis- people going missing and stuff basically because his subconscious tells him that right because he, I mean, he's met her, and she's made a few snake references, and she's seen snakes and others. And then his subconscious just goes, "She's the evil one. She's the evil one. She's the evil one." And then, pretty much, he knows that she's a snake lady. But halfway through in the film, not much evidence. His subconscious just seems to have told him that. Yeah. But so, so if, if you don't read it that way, how the hell does he know that she's? Yeah, no, that's, the snake. that's true. Because he comes out of that very sure, doesn't he? And hmm. they start doing playing the the snake charming, the snake and he knows. Be already knows yeah. it's going to be her. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, so I, I maybe I hadn't appreciated that. Moving on, just uh, to the snake charming, which obviously forms quite a big bit of the film. I mean, you've got the little boy scout earlier on who does the 
the a harmonica playing uh, in oh the house. yeah um and and she starts i mean kudos to Amanda Donahoe i mean there's some of the most ridiculous scenes in this film in a film that has lots of ridiculous scenes uh, the bits where she's doing the dancing when she's being charmed um only second to Paul Brook doing the same thing <laughs> which is um it's pretty ridiculous. You, you you're you're scientifically minded Yes. Is there any scientific basis for snake charming? Oh, no, I'm glad you asked me that, because I was getting on to that. Huh? Um, no, there's absolutely no basis for snake, snake charming whatsoever. In fact, snakes don't have external um, ears. So, in <laughs> fact, snakes can only hear very low sounds. So, in terms of hearing, they're not affected by hearing. What actually happens with, with um, snake charming is that you have the charmer playing his um, little pipe thing. And... What he's done is the snake is actually irritated. So the snake is on the defensive. So what what he's doing is as as he moves, the snake is also also moves in order to kind of be in a position to attack whatever is near him in case you know if it comes any closer to the snake. Sounds like a high risk pastime. Yeah. So 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 essentially what what you're doing is is as as the the charmer sways one way, the snake will also do that. And, and therefore, it looks like the the, the charmer is is causing the snake to dance. Well, I mean, the charmer is causing the snake. Well, he is, but not for <laughs> not because of the music. As snakes don't react to music at all. That's that's pretty. Which kind of ruins this film. Although you can kind of fudge it by saying the the the, the both. You say that that was the big flaw with this film. <laughs> No, no, but it's it's a big it's one of the one of the holes of the film. So anyway, the, the, but you can you can get around that I think by by um, saying that the that the the the, the snake um, vampire snake type characters because um, they're human they do have ears so maybe they are affected by it. But it's just a lucky coincidence. But I think that's a lucky coincidence. Uh, uh, time is pressing, so yes. I, I'd like to get on to the finals. Well, not the final scene, but the big showdown uh, between Lady Sylvia, yeah. the White Worm itself, yeah. and um, Angus, and, and the Mary giant, and Eve. Giant strap-on. Oh, giant strap-on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure why she's wearing. Well, no, I'm not sure why she's wearing that. But you know, I, th- I think it's purely because Ken Russell thought that would look cool. But what we've got is sort of a uh, well. It's a, so it's a well, which is similar well, to, it's, it's to, a, to it's, to it's a hole in a cave, isn't it? It's like a. It's like a. Uh, it's, it's not a well as such. It's it's, it's a pothole. Oh, a vertical pothole. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll go. I'll go with that, and then there's a there's a there's a massive gigantic snake at the bottom, and um, and for some reason, the the sacrificial victim who's Mary Catherine Olsenberg? No, she's she's um, Eve. Is it? Oh god. Yeah. I get film being the symbolism. It's it. Oh Eve. Okay. Yeah. Oh, even the snakes and yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Remember, there's a sequence where. She's taking the shortcut, and Amanda Donahoe's up in the tree. Yes, yes. Couldn't yeah. be any more spelt out than that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh, 
uh, yeah, so it's, it is Catherine Oxenberg, but playing Eve, <laughs> and also uh, in her underwear because contractually she clearly had to keep her underwear on. Mm. But um, Madonna Hogan had no such contract clearly. Um, and then the but the, the snake is coming up the the, the shaft, the <laughs> <laughs> but. The snake is very unconvincing looking. We're not talking a, a, a fantastic Ray Harryhausen style. No. Do, you know, do you know what that is? I, I, I don't tell I, you what that was. I'm dying to know. I think in the, I think they use some sort of little puppety thing in the, in the shots where it's quite sort low down. Puppet. It is a sort of puppet. When it's further up, do you know what, what they use for that? Is the uh, the, the bonnet of a, a VW Beetle. So they use a couple of those, and that's what forms the. That's what f- they built the. The worm round. <laughs> well, that explains why it looks so terrible. <laughs> I think this is a lesson to all filmmakers. Don't, Don't mess a, around like that. You Don't know? <laughs> create a monster out of car parts. Unless it is a monster made of car parts. It actually reminded me of a Doctor Who story called Warriors of the Deep. Mm. Yeah, it's not that bad. <laughs> Which has a gigantic sea serpent, uh, which is particularly badly realised. Yeah, it's not that bad. No, it's not quite as bad as that. No. But you know, this this should have this should have had a good monster at the end. Yeah. I mean, all the drama comes from Amanda Donahoe. Yeah. And then she's quite bloodthirsty, and you think you get the impression she she really she's really going to despoil and then murder Catherine Oxenberg. Um, there's not a lot of that's where the only tension comes from actually actually, it's not a big action scene because it's not that well realised and Hugh Grant's gone off somewhere else and um, smokes the beast out and then and then uh, Peter Cavaldi just produces a grenade grenade actually from his sporran yeah from from he's but where no idea where he got that from. Archaeologists there's a, there's a point always there is, have grenades. There is how a, you excavate in a hurry. There is a point where he he's apparently gone off to do research, but that's before he enters Lady Sylvia's house. And so at some point when he's entered there, he's he's got bagpipes to do the snake charming, which is obviously part of his uh, research, and a grenade. So they must have just been hanging around her house. It's all standard. It doesn't go. It doesn't go in there. Logical stuff. I think there's there's no problem. There's no problems with. And incidentally, the bit where they get attacked, um, when they get attacked because the um, the uh, when um, Amanda Donahoe jumps out of that curtain in the house, and she's not affected by the music. She's got earplugs in. She would still hear the music. Earplugs don't block out the entire sound. So I'd run that past you, so she'd still be partly charmed. Well, and when she takes the me. when she takes the earplugs out, they haven't painted the inside of her ears. So if you look carefully, <laughs> they haven't put the the blue makeup in inside her ears. But was the has she covered herself in blue makeup, Braveheart style, or is she is her character supposed well, to be blue she's, for I, I assume that she's turned into a, that that that's something she's turned into. I hadn't given it a thought that perhaps she has just done that as part of the ritual, but... If her ear colour wasn't a mistake, would that save the film for you? 
I that is know. a question that, that will never that be asked no. again about anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, can I can just very quickly mention the um, Mary and Eve's parents who, who, who appear, I think, both in Hugh Grant's dream sequence and also um, in in reality in... Or the mother does. Right. No, the father's there as well. In in the house. Is he? I never saw him. Yeah, he, he just sits there. He doesn't do anything. He's just like... Oh. But the mother is kind of a full I actually on wondered why I had vampire. Seen him. I must have looked away. Yeah. The mother's actually a full on vampire kind of beastie. And um I would say Ken Russell not good with effects because there's a there's a bit where where she gets cut in half. Yeah. Obviously in a mirroring of the, the, the legend, etc. And it's a really badly done special effect. It's really obvious that there's just holes in the floor that she's standing in and then there's like Another hole where, where her legs are coming out, and they've just kind of put a all the special effects. All the yeah. special effects are bad, but you know. Um, interestingly as well, the father is played by a character, uh, an actor called Christopher Gable, who, again, I'm always picking out Doctor Who um, connections, but he's the third Doctor Who connection in this, in that he played Sherez Jack in the Case of Androzani, which was Peter Davison's last. Um, story and a somewhat better story than Warriors of the Deep. Yeah, oh. and a better part for him than than this. Yeah, I, I like that one. Yeah. It's got Perry in. She's one of my favourites. Okay, um, before we wrap this up, I know you looked into the um, the folk tale that formed the basis of Stoker's novel. Yeah, uh, and on which Ken Russell also drew on separately from the novel. Yeah, the Lampton Worm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean it's 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 an old folktale, mainly in the the uh, form of of a song, which they do a version of in in the beginning of the film. Quite a catchy song. Yeah, um, and it, it it's a very basic story in that there's a guy called um, I think he's called John or James Lampton, mm. and he he goes fishing and catches a worm. Um, a big or dragon or well, yeah, but it, I mean, it, it, there's a suggestion that comes from uh, Verm, which is the uh, uh, German for for dragon. Yeah, um, and it's a sort of dragon myth, I guess. But anyway, this 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 worm, he 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 doesn't catch any other fish, and he only catches this silly worm, so he chucks it down a well, and um, goes back home. And then some some years later, he and he's he's older, and he's he's um, he, he's in a position of standing in in, in the, the village. There's this creature that's going around eating babies and livestock, and it's basically this it's the it's the worm which has been down in the well and has grown bigger and bigger and bigger. And basically, what happens is he decides that he's going to go up with a sword and kill this worm, and it ends up with him slicing it in half, which. Um, it's quite interesting because literally, if you if you literally accept that it's a worm, uh, there is a thing that you can actually slice a worm in half, and one or other, or if you get it exactly right, both ends of the worm can survive. Yeah, and, does that um, work with dragons? Well, I don't know. It depends how literal you want to take this, and and maybe there's there's the idea that Dionin, who's the the god. And, and supposedly the, the the creature as well, I think in that in 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 this film is a god of um, 
ends and and rebirths, and it and it does come from a, a Greek god called uh, Dionysus or Bacchus, if you are Roman, which bit of mix mix of Grecian and Roman mythology here. Mm. Um, but yeah, he 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 was. Um, he's, he's fairly interesting. Of course, Ken Russell mixed it with Christianity. Yeah, yeah, but it, but it, yeah, he's not the most interesting of the gods. There's in fact the, the god of wine making, wine and ritual madness and religious ecstasy, which is probably probably what appealed to Ken Russell. Appeals to me as well. That sounds that good. Sounds I want to get get in on that. Actually. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, I think that's all I really have to say about Lair of the White Worm. Yeah. No, I think so. Well, would you like to bring us to the concluding questions? Okay then. So, Chris, did you like this film? Of course, I loved it. Now, I have to say, this is a really bad film, I think. It's really, really badly made in a lot of places. I think some of it's really dodgy and effects are dodgy. Um, the one thing it has going for it is that it's almost entirely acted brilliantly. But at the same time, it's a, it's a really good it's a really good film, and I really enjoy watching it. So it's like it's, it's really weird because it's not. I, I do think it's quite a bad film, but I just love it at the same time. Well, that takes us to the second question. So um, I guess we'll go to the second one. Is it well? Let's go to it. Is it scary? No, not even slightly. I think there is one moment where where there's the 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 jump bit where she's with her finds her mother in Lady Sylvia's house and then there's a bit where where there's a sort of jump bit there uh, which is which is a reasonably good good sort of but horror film jump Captain Russell was never the kind of director but it's to do not, that stuff but it's not it's not scary no so does it stand up is that our third question <clears throat> um it is the third question do you want to answer that first okay it does not no not at all and for for lots of different reasons, I think, but it's very, it's very, I think it's very much of its time. Yeah. The soundtrack is awful. And Did I think it's by no, Thomas it Dolby? Yeah. Yeah. That, very eighties. Very eighties. But yeah, so it, it's it's not it doesn't stand up at all really. But, but it's still good even fun. Even so, it's great fun and it vastly improves on the novel, which yeah, oh, isn't yeah. hard. Um, I think Bram Stoker fans, I think, and I'm one of the, those. I think what we can do is just forget this novel was ever written. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's. I mean, HP HP Lovecraft also wrote some very embarrassing stuff, and, and that's what you do. You just block it out. You just yeah. say, well, you're exactly. not interested in that. <laughs> I'm just blocking that out. Yeah. That never happened. Yeah, the festival. Festival. Yeah, that's isn't that the one? That's quite. Oh no, I'm thinking of something else. I think I thought one? that was good. No, no, yeah, no, 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 no. Anyway, let's not. There's no, one I'm not going to start talking about. Anyway, so um, oh, I've got exciting news. Okay. Right, we're not going to announce what we're going to be talking about next. No, we're, what we're not. going to do. We might have a bit of a summer break, but then we're going to come back and talk about something that you want us to talk about. Exactly. So, so we want you to go onto the Facebook page, Twitter, um, email us, and tell us what, what films you'd like us to cover. cover. 
otherwise we'll just randomly keep picking things out. As Chris said, we we are going to have a short break because we're, we're going on our holidays. Yay! Yay! Not, not together. No, not together. Like to point out. No, with our respective families. <coughs> yeah. Um, so there may be some little extras that pop up in the next couple of weeks, but um, if not, we will be coming back probably early September. Early September with the first film that you choose. So let us know, and you can let us know on Facebook where it's uh, we're a very British horror, or on Twitter at very Brit horror or our email address which is a very British horror at gmail.com and if you don't let us know any films then then we'll talk about something we'll we'll come back on and we'll do we'll tell you exactly what we did on our holidays yeah in, in great detail with slides with slides yeah yeah and then and then only fools and horses yeah yeah so really save us save <laughs> save yourselves and save us from that Ah, well, have a good summer holiday. Yeah. And until then, I've been Chris Denton. (laughs) I still am and will be Paul Monk. Good night. Bye-bye.